This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Shelf of trades, which heroes are ghosts, which villains are teamed, fighting on Gotham's cruel streets, overwhelmed in the maze. Of Eighty years and some days, perhaps I'll come reborn, or maybe get war games. For beginners, we're just two bad fans sharing love of Batman on racks and spinners, going over the story and all. What's dumb and smart, the losers and winners? Bad books for beginners. Welcome to this edition of TBU's Bat Books for Beginners, episode 206. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and give you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book Chris and I are covering is Red Robin, The Grail. Chris, tell us a little bit about this book. Thank you very much, Jerry. Jerry, before I do, I have mm-hmm. to tell you, with all mm-hmm. the music you provided to this <laughs> podcast, I have to say you really, really, really outdid yourself with that one. Oh, My thank gosh. you. Thank you. I, I <sighs> love that song. Pink Floyd. Oh, I yeah. That, that was a masterpiece, my friend. I oh, really enjoyed that you. one. 
Well, hello, Bat fans. Thank you very much for spending a part of your day with us today. Once again, no coverage of Batman number 188. Hey, but watch your backs for the Eraser Gang. We warned you first. Okay. Red Robin, The Grail, is a 128-page, full-color, soft-cover trade paperback that was published in April 2010 and had a cover price of... $17.99. Now, this book appears to have gone through more than one printing. Now, however, in a Bat Books for Beginners first, Mm. or at least as long as Jerry and I have covered Bat Books here, this does not appear to be available by either Amazon or Comixology at the time of this recording. Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't see any main online comic vendors have any either, but at the Hmm. time of this recording, I did see some copies of the trade paperback on eBay going from around $35 to $50. Hmm. The trade paperback collects the first five issues of Red Robin. That's the title that was originally cover dated August 2009 through December 2009, and each of those issues had a cover price of $2.99. It should be noted that Jerry and I are covering the first four issues, which were specifically titled the story, The Grail. Now, if you're interested in obtaining a hard copy version of the story, as you might expect, based on what I previously said, going for the back issues would probably be the cheaper route to go. Online vendors do appear to have these hovering at, to, or slightly above to slightly below the cover price. Okay, for our creative team, as per usual, I'll go off my online resources and a little bit of my memory... But I have to confess, with some of the team, I didn't have a lot much to go here. Our writer is Christopher Yost. I think he was mentioned on our previous episode while I was compiling my research, but honestly, I'm not sure when we last mentioned him or when. Christopher Lee Yost was born on February 21st, 1973 in St. Louis, Missouri, making him 46 years old. He graduated from the University of Michigan with a film and video degree, and he produced TV commercials in the Detroit area. He later interned in 2002 at Marvel Comics' West Coast office. He got some spec scripts that got attention from Marvel executives, and they hired Yost to write a few episodes of the TV series X-Men Evolution. In 2003, Yost... And co-wrote a couple of episodes that introduced the mutant character X-23, a female clone of the popular X-Men character Wolverine. Now, Marvel executives were impressed with X-23's reception on TV, and they asked Yost to work with others to adapt the character into comics, first by writing a six-issue miniseries titled X-23 Innocence Lost. In 2012, Yost moved to work on the Marvel Spider-Man family of comics. He revitalized the character Kane. I don't know if uh, I recall that vaguely from from the 1990s storyline in the Clone Saga. And that was done in the uh, Scarlet Spider ongoing series. And he also took over the writing of Spider-Man team-up book, The Avenging Spider-Man. I know I got those, and for me, they were a lot of one-and-done reads. But Mm. uh, an, an interesting series nonetheless. Where I first really noticed his work, he did some writing on the animated series The Batman. And while that's not quite as revered as the previous Batman, the animated series in the 90s, you know, I thought this incarnation of the character had a really decent run. I think it ran five seasons, and I thought it was, you know, okay, pretty good. Mm. Yeah, I didn't care for the Joker's appearance being barefoot, and Catwoman had those really over-exaggerated mm. uh, cat ears, but I'm starting to digress here. <laughs> uh, Yost worked in the uh, Marvel Feature Film Writers Program from 2010 to 2012 before embarking on his uh, feature film screenwriting career. He was one of the uh, writers of the Marvel film Thor, The Dark World. In August mm. 23, uh, he worked on the Max Steel film series, and then he also worked on Thor Ragnarok. Mm. Now, our artist is Ramon Box, and I have to confess, I really couldn't find about as much of him as far as a background as I wanted to. Box was born in 1973 in Santa Colonna de Gremenet, 
in Cataluna, Spain, if I pronounce that correctly. He started working in the late 90s on comic strips and magazines in his birthplace. In 1999, he started working in the American comic book industry. His first work was for Dark Horse Comics and the title Spy Boy. That sounds mm. vaguely familiar. He was later assigned to work in an intercompany crossover between Dark Horse Comics and DC Comics, and that crossover was the Joker Mask series. Hey, that was in 2000, and I remember that one. Yeah. I, I have that comic book. He was hired by Wildstorm Productions to work on the title Gen 13. Uh, his first official work for DC Comics was in 2004 on the title Batman Legends of the Dark Knight. I remember that title well. And later he worked on the title Detective Comics. Over on Amazon.com, this particular trade paperback has a rating of four and a half. Wow. Mm. Four and a half stars out of five based on 17 reviews. And over at Goodreads.com, this has a rating of 4.07 stars out of five based on 3,091 ratings and 58 reviews. But will Jerry Mm. rank this as high or lower? That remains Mm. to be seen. And I know you can't wait to hear Jerry's (laughs) awesome recap of the story. And with that, I shall turn it back over to you, Jerry. Thanks, Chris. So we're going to talk about this story after a few messages from some of our friends. Three animated TV series, three animated feature films, over 50 years of stories, over 150 characters, 10 core comic book titles, 27 spin-off comic book titles, nearly 30 limited series spin-offs, and of course, four feature films. Well, Okay, five if you count Captain America Civil War, or maybe it's like four and a half. The Avengers are a Marvel Comics mainstay, and no matter how many films crush it at the box office, or how many more Avengers spinoff titles come out, it all comes back to that original comic series that Stan Lee and Jack Kirby thrust upon the world in 1963. And I'm going to read the entire run. My name is Derek M. Cook, and I'm a recovering comic book fan. Over on my YouTube channel, Comicstalgia, you can join me as I make my way through the comic with my Reading the Avengers YouTube series. Every episode, I'll take a look at an issue of the comic, share my thoughts about the story, its artwork and characters, and reflect on how the issue may have impacted or inspired other facets and corners of all things Marvel. I'd like to invite you to join me as I make my way through every single issue of this iconic comic book. Assemble with me at tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers or look up Comicstalgia on YouTube where you can find all the previous episodes and even subscribe to make sure you don't miss anything while we're reading the Avengers. That's tinyurl.com slash reading the Avengers. Nuff said. Welcome back. Here's the story of Red Robin, the Grail. Tim Drake doesn't believe Bruce Wayne is dead, and he's going to prove it. I kind of agree with him. Yeah. Yeah. He dons the Red Robin costume because it gives him leeway to be a little more violent than he might be in his Robin outfit. Everyone has been telling him that Bruce is dead and that he's in denial to believe otherwise. Still, something is bothering the world's second greatest detective, and he can't give up on Bruce. He remembers going to the Batcave and Dick trying to talk him out of his search. Damien was a supreme jerk to him, and he took out his frustrations on a vase in stately Wayne Manor. At one point, Dick even tries to physically restrain him. He goes to Spain looking for clues to Bruce's whereabouts. He gets sidetracked into saving a kidnapped girl and gets his hands burned by a superpowered villain. He goes to Paris where he gets sidetracked by an armed robbery he has to stop. Why is his search being interrupted? 
After saving the day, he goes to his hotel room. On a rooftop across the street are three baddies, one of which has a gun pointed at him. One is a bald, tough girl named Prue. One of the guys, a black man named Z, reports to someone on a walkie-talkie that we've got him. On the other end of the walkie-talkie is Rachel Ghoul. They ask if they should kill Tim. Ray says, you can try. <laughs> One of them, Owens, shoots an exploding round into Tim's room. The three celebrated how easy it was to kill him. These bats aren't so tough. Then Red Robin flips onto the rooftop, not as dead as they thought, and beats them up pretty good. Prue gets her nose broken in two places, and the rest of them get various damage. Raish orders them to leave. They set off a flash grenade and leave the rooftop, leaving behind a communicator. Alfred notices Tim is missing from Wayne Manor and gets Lucius Fox on the job to find him. Someone intrudes on Tim's hideout, and he gives them a solid kick in the gut. It is Stephanie Brown in her spoiler outfit. She wants him to give up his search, but he refuses and give her, gives her what for. In Berlin, Tim realizes Rachel Ghoul believes Bruce is alive, too. Those assassins weren't there to stop him. They were there to help him. Oh, well, fun's fun. He uses the communicator to get in touch with Raish, and they have a chat. That night, Tim breaks into the German Museum of Anthropology with Raish on the communicator. Raish knows that Batman is Dick and Damien is Robin, and he doesn't think much of them. He offers Tim a spot on his board of assassins if he lets Raish know what happens to the real Batman. The museum's silent alarm goes off, and Tim is accosted by the German police and a half-naked barbarian called the Wild Huntsman. They fight. Raish's three assassins shoot at the Huntsman through the window. Tim has to sh save him from the shots. Prue, Z, and Owens are trying to save Tim, but Tim doesn't want anyone hurt. He's still a bat, after all. So they are all fighting each other. It's a little chaotic. Tim gets away with an artifact. Tim flies to Baghdad, where he meets up with Prue, Z, and Owens again. They're there to give him a ride. But first, Tim has to deal with the cops at the airport. Turns out they know he has an artifact. Z is apparently from the local Wayne Enterprises affiliate, or at least has, said, has that identification, and he's able to straighten things out. They let the armed officers know that Tim is Bruce Wayne's adopted son. Tim's released and rides in the trio's car. The four head out into the desert. Tim goes into a cave and fi finds a cave painting of a bat. This is what he's looking for. Bruce is alive. As they leave, Z is killed with a sword in the back by an assassin named the Widower, sent by the Council of Spiders. Owen and Prue are killed also, and Tim knows he might be dead. He might be dead too. This is where this story ends the after these words from some of our friends. Sawete. My name is Stella, and I am the host of Backroll to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Backroll to Oracle is a podcast dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the mantle of Backroll for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1988. 
The goal of Batgirl the Oracle is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continuing through her tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at a vintage issue of Detective Comics or Batman, as well as other books like Justice League and Freedom Fighters, and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I have a revolving series of segments like Babs in the Tube, which highlights appearances of Babs in TV and film, Shipper Spotlight, which looks at a variety of comic and pop culture couples, gives their history, and determines whether they are hot or not, Reading with Stella, which could be described as an audio drama, or just me reading a book that relates to Babs or doesn't, and of course, the mainstay literature recommendation. I've been blessed to interview writers Scott Beatty and Chuck Dixon on their Batgirl Year One work, Brian Q. Miller on his Batgirl run, Dwayne Swarzynski and Christy Marks on their separate Birds of Prey work, and the creators and actors of the Batgirl Spoiled, the web series. I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Find the show online at thebatmanuniverse.net and iTunes, and follow the show on Facebook and Twitter at Batgirl to Oracle. Thank you, and fly on, Babs lovers. Okay, Chris, what'd you think? Jerry, this was a surprisingly likable read, and one yeah. that I confess I didn't really recall when it first popped up in my reading list way back in mm-hmm. the day. But there were some elements of the story that really, really grabbed me. Yeah. Initially, we got a depiction of Tim. Mm-hmm. He's a much more mature-looking yes. Tim Drake than I'm used to and accustomed to seeing, and one I think we've sort of gotten in a little bit of request with respect to the current reading and depiction of the character. Mm-hmm. Yes, we get a bratty Damien. What else is new? That's sort of a setback. Yeah. But I really got into the uh, different locations and, and Tim really mm. being independent and thinking on his own. Mm-hmm. We had this group with uh, Prudence Z and Owens, and I thought they were some great supporting characters yes. in this. And they were almost kind of like baddies I, w- I was almost rooting for yeah. for, for, so, for a little bit. And they had no business to, but they were really fleshed out and unique characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, provided a little bit of uh, comic relief, if you will, in this yes. of Shadows. Uh, the artwork was really, really good. I, I didn't have any complaints with that respect to it. Uh, their yep. depiction of the action scenes were really fine. There were some great facial close-ups where they needed to be. We had a little bit of a Tim and Stephanie uh, confrontation, mm-hmm. which I, I'm glad they included that element there. And there were just a little bit of pieces of the puzzle that I really liked. Uh, there was a nice uh, Wonder Girl cameo. Uh, there was some character mm-hmm. called the Wild Huntsman, who just <laughs> looked totally out of place. And uh, I'm going to have to downgrade this when we come to the green pro- uh, spot for the, for the uh, segment, because th- this guy was j- just just a bozo. Yeah. I mean, just when he came up, he, d- he just really took me out of the story with his appearance and uh, mannerisms. I don't know if that's how they wanted to convey the character from uh, conception to execution, but poor man's Craven the Hunter, he was mm. not. <laughs> this was just like a really uh, zealous-looking guy. And, but, and uh, was he working with the police? Yeah, who knows? I don't know what the guy was up to. Part you know, of this museum just, security? Yes, and, and he's got this, you know, Tarzan get-up on, and I'm like, my God, what what, what is he doing here? And it's just other than that. Other than that, there were, that was the only real 
misstep with, with the story from start to finish that I had, but mm-hmm. this was, again, a surprisingly good read. I, I, I did not think I would enjoy it as much as I did. What were your initial impressions, Jerry? Well, I really liked uh, Rachel Ghoul and Tim Drake. Their relationship is really cool. Um, we've seen them before interact, and they have a respect for each other, even though they're on opposite sides of things. And, you know, in this case, when one of, when um, the, the three assassins say, oh, can I shoot Tim? <laughs> Rachel is like, yeah, Sure. <laughs> You're not going to kill him. Not a chance. And, um, you know, you mentioned Prudence and Owens. They're really funny together. They're always, Prudence is a little crazy, right? She's a little um, impulsive and overly aggressive, and it gets her into a lot of trouble. And they're always kind of making fun of her. And, and it's really kind of entertaining. Um, I really like the Tim Drake here. No one believes him. He, he knows that Bruce is alive. He knows it. And he is a great detective on his own. And it's a little frustrating that everyone around him uh, thinks he's wrong. And they're trying to say, oh, you're just in denial. Um, stop searching for Bruce. You have to move on with your life. Nobody trusts his detective instincts except Rish, who knows how smart he is. Tim knows that Bruce is alive and he is going to save him no matter what happens. Um, you know, there's a reason I like Tim Drake so much. And this is uh, stories like this are one of them. Um, I'm not sure so much on the, you know, quote unquote mystery and all the clues he's following. I don't, I think that's a little bit of a weakness here. Um, why is he in Europe? What's he looking for? What's the artifact? Uh, why is the bat on the wall so important. I know we've seen that before and I know that's tied into the whole thing, but what's the, you know, it's not really clear at this point. You know, it's not like a a mystery that the reader can solve. Tim is just going through this station by station, um, trying to figure it out. Uh, You mentioned Damien, Damien. Look, I like Damien. I definitely understand why people hate Damien. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel a little bit justified now. <laughs> Absolutely. Damien, Damien is awful. <laughs> awful in here. He's nasty to Tim, who I like a lot. Um, and he, just insufferable and almost like why even have him? I mean, he's just, just terrible. Um, you mentioned Tim and Stephanie. It's great to see them together. Um, they're on the outs, you know, they're fighting a little bit, but it's always good to, to see, um, to see them together. Uh, there's some great comments here where Tim, Tim mentions, uh, oh, great. Rachel Ghoul is my new Alfred, butler of the <laughs> damned. <laughs> um, and so just a lot of things to like. There were, you know, this is only four issues. There are an awful lot of side stories for four issues. You know, the trip to South Africa. They just, it's, they, they spend a couple of pages in South Africa. Not clear why. Um, Cassie is Wonder Girl. Great to see her. Uh, they talk about Jason Todd. They talk about anarchy and the anti-life equation, which we've seen, uh, in recent stories a little while, a couple of months ago, I think that we did on this, uh, podcast, but it's not clear what this has to do with the story other than everybody bugging him about a uh, bugging Tim about giving up the ghost, uh, giving up Bruce. Um, and, and just also didn't 
Dick shut down the Batcave a few <laughs> a few episodes of Batbugs for Beginners ago and moved to a penthouse? Or I'm not sure about yeah. the time periods that we're talking here. Is that in the future, or they just forgot about it? I, I, I conceivably, I think it almost could be the latter. Uh, we've it's been a while on our podcast since we mentioned, you know, on some of these traits, some editorial notes yeah. would be good. Some a little bit of like a context page of what, what's happening here and when mm-hmm. we we don't get that. And you alluded to the uh, cave drawing on the wall, and I think you know that yeah. that tied in with like the the resurrection of Bruce Wayne yeah. series, and and you've saw it in other places. And there were a lot of uh, plate spinning and other titles with respect to the mystery of the whereabouts of Bruce mm-hmm. and some people in on it, some people not of it. And I just really think uh, editorial ship didn't do a fine job of, of putting it all under the umbrella in a cohesive manner. I, I, I just think everybody was uh, okay. Here's your assignment, run with it. And yeah. nobody really tied the loose ends altogether. I, I, I suspect that at least that's the way I, as a reader felt yeah. when I, when I, when I'm getting this and we're going over these trades and, and, uh, pretty much happening in the same time period but we we really didn't have any cohesiveness with with uh a law and order it i think there were just too many things going on at, mm. at once and uh the writers perhaps you know did did what they could but uh could have been handled better yeah with, with some editorial ship in my opinion yeah i agree i think that it's it's understandable that they can't give you a, a solvable mystery if they're not exactly sure what's going on in the universe, right? So, um, you know, that's a weakness of this that keeps this from being a truly, I, in my opinion, a truly great, great story. You mentioned the locales were uh, not necessarily clear with where he was going. That said, I, I, I did like that, you know, we, this, this is a story that hits the, hits, hits the ground running. I mean, they don't mm-hmm. set up with a lot of, uh, exposition. I, I kind of like that, uh, Tim is going to these different locales. Yeah. Uh, he's working covertly and, and he's kind of ignoring everybody who's reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's, just laser focused on, on, on the mission. Yeah. And, uh, I really like to see that. Mm-hmm. Uh, did um, Jerry? Did you did you like the different locales, or did it just take you out of it because there was just no explanation, kind of here and there? Uh, I like the um, locales following Tim around. Um, it was a little. There was a lot of so it was a lot of locales, and that was one thing. But then there was also a lot of flashbacks. Oh, remember the time I talked to to um, Dick? Oh, and remember that other time that I talked to Dick and we fought? And remember that time I talked to um, Wonder? Mm, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was it was a lot of jumping around which typically I don't like, but like you said, there was a lot of action here. Um, there were a lot of, um, you know, as Tim is in the different locations, there's like a little crime for him to solve. And it's only a couple of pages and it doesn't actually count to, you know, the story as a whole, but it sure is fun and it keeps things moving. Jerry, I want to really applaud you for one of the observations you had earlier and oh. noticing that uh, Raish really thinks Tim is an intelligent person and character and i think that shouldn't be understated at all i think that is almost part of the underlying crux of the story Mm -hmm. and and just how well written and how intelligently written uh yost provided a story here with respect to these two characters uh he he has a lot of respect for them and he doesn't he he gives them that intelligence and that nod that these aren't uh things that are going by and summarily dismissive Mm -hmm. of, of, of 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 their talent i really really like that as far as the artwork, I, I do want to take a couple of steps back here. Mm-hmm. Is it just me, Jerry, or does 
Tim seemed to be a little bit more mature and aged yeah. in this particular uh, version of this story as opposed to how we're seeing him currently. I agree. I think he's a little buffer. I think he's a little bigger in size than we've seen him in the past. You know, usually I think of him as kind of a, a slim, kind of skinny kid. And here yes. it looks like he's put on a little bit of bulk. He's, And I think it works well for this story. And um, I, Absolutely. I, I kind of wish they, <laughs> they um, didn't revert him back to younger age. As much as I like him as younger, um, sure. that's fine. But um, it's it's great to see him developing as a character. I think he's a terrific character, one of the great ones in uh, in the Bat Family, and um, I'd like to see him change and grow. One of the other things I had in my notes too was what in my mind I always see Tim as a little more. He's a critical thinker. Mm-hmm. He's not really prone to outbursts, but we did see him have a few outbursts in this story, particularly mm-hmm. with uh, Damien and Dick, and then another one with Steph. And I'm tr- I was trying to get a handle on it if that seemed to be the Tim Drake that I know mm-hmm. or my conception or perception of the character. And did I give this a pass? Was he too harsh with Steph? Was he too harsh with Dick or Damien? Mm-hmm. With the Dick and Damien scene, I can kind of see that. The guys, yeah. you can really sense the weight on his shoulders with this and nobody's listening to him and he's he 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 wants to get to the bottom of the bruce mystery the confrontation he had with steph it took me a little out of the story a bit i thought that may have been uncharacteristic but Mm -hmm. i I just don't know did you think he was a little bit uh uh little the the, was the anger a little little over the top with tim in this do you think jerry so i understood it with the dick and damien stuff and you know damien just aggravates him and he just smashes a a, a vase <clears throat> and you know i think it shows on the one hand that he is stressed out he he misses bruce he really thinks that he's alive and nobody believes him and he's you know why wouldn't you believe the smartest person you know <laughs> right you know everybody knows how smart tim is why aren't people believing him and why are people just moving on with their lives? Um, why, you know, and, and I think that's frustrating to him. And that's how I'm explaining this to myself. I did think that the thing with, um, with Stephanie was a little much. He kicks her in the stomach, <laughs> you know, um, he is a little over, over the top. But with Dick, there is also the one scene where Dick is actually trying to kind of physically restrain Tim. Like he's fighting Tim to get him to stop his search. And I thought that was actually a little more kind of out of character for Dick than, than I think this is out of character for Tim. Great point. Great point. So well, how would you, you know, thinking about all of this, you know, kind of balancing it all, how do you think you would rate it? And is it like a must read or a recommended book? Jerry, I'm in a bit of a quandary here mm-hmm. because – I really like the story. I would rate it very highly. I'm t- I'm toying between a three and a half and a four, mm-hmm. and I'm kind of leaning toward a four, mm-hmm. despite a few misgivings. And I think this story, in fairness, caught me at the right time when I was craving for great exposition, mm-hmm. a story that hit the ground running, continuous action, and giving giving me a lot of uh, plot and uh, and moving at a very very brisk and fast pace. Mm-hmm. This this tended to be a very fast read for me. I thought yeah. the characterizations were spot on. Yeah. 
Great Huntsman <laughs> is a little bit of a downgrade. And I also, you know, weighing this with respect to conveying this as a must-read, I am taking into account the availability of this. I, I just don't oh. know if people could get their hands on this readily based on what I'm seeing. And I, I certainly don't think it's worth the exorbitant cost of the trade paperback mm-hmm. uh, that I'm seeing on eBay. By no means would I say, hey, go out and get this and spend $35. Mm-hmm. This is the cheapest copy I could see there. Hmm. The individuals might the individual individual issues may be easier to track down, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I certainly wouldn't pay more than cover price for them. Yeah. They, they were very good. Maybe you could pay slightly above for the first issue because it's a number one. I could see that, but mm-hmm. it's a solid story. So I am going to say uh, this story caught me at, a, at the right time with the reading. I'm, I'm toying between. I could maybe change my mind and say three and a half bad ranks tomorrow out of five. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm going to give it a four out of five. But I, I can't really necessarily say it's a must read, yeah. and I, I hate to be kind of contradicting myself. But there I am. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a tough quandary. If you're a Tim Drake fan and you have not, I'm sure you've seen this already. If you're a long time. Mm-hmm. Tim Drake fan. This is this is something you probably own already. But if you're a newer Tim Drake fan, this would probably be something you would eke out. I would recommend going though for the back issues. You could probably find a, a better deal that way. Yeah. And uh, crossing your fingers and hoping they're in good shape and everything, and you don't have any bad experiences. But I'm going to say four and a half, four batterings out of five. But I, I can't necessarily say it's a must read, mm. and I, I'm I'm really kicking myself over <laughs> my my predicament with this. I hear you. So I feel very similar to how you feel. I I think this is a great Tim. Drake story. And a Tim Drake fan, I think, would really like this. It shows his commitment. It shows his ability as a detective. And I think, in particular, it shows his relationship with Rachel Ghoul, which is charming. And so I really like that. I really like the uh, team up with um, the trio of assassins, that whole uh, relationship between the four of them turned out to be I, really I could cool. almost see a miniseries with those <laughs> totally, three characters. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Unfortunately, they're dead. But yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so's Bruce. So maybe they'll come back to um, <laughs> But I do have reservations. I think um, there's a lot of plot fussiness, a lot of bouncing around um, in time and also some kind of dead ends that kind of go nowhere. And, you know, it's great to see Tim and Steph talked, but it really didn't play into the story. Uh, Wonder Girl, you know, it kind of says, oh yeah, everybody's against Tim and the family, but doesn't really progress the story. Uh, the South Africa thing doesn't progress the story. So I'm going to rate this for what I liked it. Like you said, it's a quick read. I just, I just inhaled it. I really enjoyed it. So I'm going to give it a four uh, batarangs as well. But for some people that may not have the, um, the like for Tim that I do, I could see how somebody could like it less. Three and a half seems about right. Um, I, this is a good story. Um, once you kind of suss the actual plot out of it, um, there's a lot of action doesn't really hold together a hundred percent. Like, you know, this whole wild huntsman thing, that's insane. You know, it seems unnecessary. Um, and, but, uh, I would recommend this, maybe go to your library, see if you can uh, pick up a copy at your library. Um, if you're following the Bruce is dead, um, storyline here, I think this is a must read for that arc. But, you know, if you, if you don't, if you're not following that, if you're just kind of bouncing around, then I don't think this really is a must read. But I, I sure enjoyed it. Great. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I, I think that's all we have for this story. 
But uh, I did want to mention, Chris, that you are doing some fantastic work over at uh, the Batgirl to Oracle podcast that people should check out. Would you like to tell us about that? Thank you so much, Jerry. Yes, I have a segment on the Batgirl to Oracle show where I'm looking at the title Batman Adventures, which was a 90s comic book title based on the animated series that ran around the same time. Oh. And I'm having a lot of fun with that. I also have a segment within a segment that I call <laughs> Night Watch. That's where I'm looking at the current Nightwing title, and I'm looking at it from a shipper's perspective, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. And it's all tied into <laughs> so a segment great. that Stella has graciously called Chris's uh, cornucopia of curiosities <laughs> that that is tacked mm-hmm. on to her Batgirl Oracle podcast. And I got to really give a nice shout out to Stella yep. because she did a magnificent job of uh, conveying all the events that happened at the recent Batman conference at Bowling Green University in Ohio. And she great, captured a mm-hmm. lot of fine, fine audio, uh, talked to a lot of uh, great, great uh, Batman experts. And it seemed, I'm kicking myself that I missed it because it's something I would would have loved to have sat in on just to hear the great, great uh, minds and excellent speakers talking about that. So uh, that's the most recent episode of the show. It was a special that she did. And be sure to check out that particular episode of Bad Gold Oracle. (laughs) But Jerry, I want to turn it back to you because I want to know if the listeners can uh, possibly find you on Twitter. You betcha. So, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Professor Frenzy. Uh, out there, I'm talking about indie comics a lot. I tweet about Dark Shadows. And, and of course, we tweet about uh, horror movies um, at the hashtag Svengoolie on Saturday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time, where we um, talk, you know, do a little bit of riffing against the uh, the movies there. And we had a great time last night doing Frankenstein. Boy, I love that movie. Every time I see it, I realize how much I love it more and more every time. Yeah, Karloff was oh. just great, as was the entire cast. I, yeah. I thought it was really good. Uh, just, just, uh, I, I even made comment with the details uh, with the way th- the, it was shot and, and the camera angles mm-hmm. and just the lighting mm-hmm. of, of, of the scenes were really masterfully done. Frankenstein yeah. is a masterpiece, and I, I am so uh, grateful that uh, we've got a great receptive audience on Twitter who yeah. really enjoy these things. And uh, Sven Gulli for putting out these fine movies. And it's, it's Frankenstein month this month, it so is. we're having a great it time. Frankenstein month. Month. And what I what really impressed me this time is how good uh, Colin Clive was as especially in the first open you know the first act the first half hour or so of the movie how crazy he was as a mad scientist he was so good yes yes oh. and other people pointed that out too and boy they, they were spot on and I I, I, I my appreciation uh, grows each time I see that movie and yes. and the cast you great great call Jerry. Yep. Yep. Terrific. So you mentioned, uh, you know, thank you for mentioning the Monster Kid radio bit. I do. I uh, cover an EC horror comic story. And so I just tell the story. It's called uh, Professor Frenzy's Bedtime Stories. And uh, I have a lot of fun doing it. I love those old EC horror comics. And uh, it's just so much fun to share that with everyone. Now, also, Chris, you and I do another podcast called The Professor Frenzy Show. So we are just doing, we're having so much fun checking out indie comics over there. And um, we also hit on some other pop culture topics. And it's just been a blast. So many good indie comics these days. Uh, Folks should really check them out. So if you're interested in indie comics, if you'd like to be interested in indie comics, check out the show. Search on iTunes for The Professor Frenzy Show. You can find us all over the interwebs with Professor Frenzy. So YouTube, Spotify, all kinds of places. So check that out. 
Jerry, we were really fortunate to get a comment, again, from our good friend Ian Miller, yes. who's on Twitter at IBM Miller. And this was with respect to our last episode where we covered the Batwoman elegy story. Yep. And Ian goes on to say, great review of a great comic. I think you pointed out mm-hmm. some of the flaws of the, well, sort of underdevelopment of the villains, etc. Mm-hmm. If you read Rucka's tech works collected in New Gotham Volume 1 and Volume 2, you'll see some of the setup. Uh, and tip. parenthetically, he says, and some very cool comics, of course, smiley face mm. emoji. Yeah, thank you so much, Ian. I really appreciate that. Yep, great comment. Yeah, and uh, you can find Ian, uh, along with his uh, eloquence, over on the Batman Universe comic podcast, yep. along with Dustin and Steph. And they do a really, really good job covering the current material. And uh, Ian is just razor sharp with uh, great insights with all yeah. respect to the titles he looks at. And I'm very, very fortunate that uh, he chimed in here. Mm-hmm. Listeners, if you want to do so, you can do so on the BatmanUniverse.net feed. And of course, you can leave us some comments on Twitter as well. They are yeah. sincerely appreciated. Yep. We did get likes and retweets on Ooh. our last episode from the following. We heard from Warlord Worlds at Warlord uh. Worlds. That's a fan podcast devoted to the comic creations of writer and artist Mike Grell, including the Warlord, John Sable, and Green Arrow. It's part of the Red Adventures Network. Hey, thanks so much, Darren and Ruth. Yeah. We heard from our good friend Dave. <laughs> He's at Lava Hog uh-huh. at Lava Hog. Uh, just uh, great, great uh, <laughs> tweets this past week, my friend, as usual, making Jerry and myself smile. Thank yeah. you very much. He's a part of the co-host of the Selling Out Show podcast, and that Twitter feed is a Selling Out, and the Twitter handle, uh, Selling Out Show. About a couple of guys screwing up life at your, their leisure for your listening pleasure. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, boy, I'm trying to think what the... It, just like, so many range of topics they cover, you know, yeah. with respect to that. And uh, uh, Nate's experience, Dave's experiences, uh, just complement each other, and it's just just a fine, fine, fun listen. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, Heard from our good stuff. friend Green Lantern HG at Green Lantern HG, Christopher Hamby at Chris Hamby Films. Yeah. We heard from our good friend Sean at Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast at Sean42AZ. He's the co-host of the Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Nerdy Dads, and What If. Great, great, insightful mind. Very much. And I think that's about it. We also got another like from Ian Miller at IBM Miller on Twitter. Thank you so much. Now, if I overlooked you, which there's a distinct possibility, let me know on Twitter at B2 on Books or let Jerry know at Professor Frenzy, and we'll be sure to mention you on our next podcast. Thanks, Chris. Well, that's all we have for today. Please join us next time where Chris and I will cover Batgirl Rising. Oh, that's yes. going to be good. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And thank you for listening to Bat Books for Beginners. Ghosts, which villains are teamed 
fighting on Gotham's cruel streets, overwhelmed in the maze. Of eighty years and some days, perhaps I'll come reborn, or maybe get war games. Bad books, bad books for beginners. We're just two bad fans sharing love of Batman on racks and spinners, going over the story and all. What's dumb and smart? The losers and winners. Bad books for beginners.